about a verse in the Bible that there's been a lot of talk about uh, in the church circles for many years and uh, some controversy also about it and that is Isaiah 53 and we're going to look at a verse that talks about the chastisement of the Lord and what it means when the Bible says it pleased the Father to bruise him and uh, what was actually going on upon that cross and um, the reason why I would talk about that is very simple. Church, we need to understand that one of the most important things in a relationship is belief. The only way someone has got access to your heart is through belief. If everything that is in our life is born from our heart, that's what the Bible says. It says clearly, it says that guard your heart above all things for out of it is the issues or out of it issues your life. So if our heart is crooked, our life will be crooked. So we need to be able to believe in God. That is a very, very, very important point. We need to be able to believe in God. Now, humans do have the ability to believe, uh, and, but what I mean by that belief is not just to believe that Jesus exists or that God exists. There are many people that believe that. The Muslims believe that God exists. Uh, the, I mean, they, they believe that Jesus walked the face of the earth. They believe that he would even return and all those kind of things. But the fact that we believe Jesus would return, uh, the fact that we believe Jesus was upon the cross does bring great joy to us. But what is very important to also understand is not just to believe that it happened, but to have that truth uh, presented in a way that it can produce trust. Now, trust is when your mind goes to rest at the integrity of someone else, and that is called believe. So we can have faith that Christ has done certain things, but that faith will bring forth a resting of the mind based on what we are persuaded of. So when we look at God and we put things on God that uh, cannot cause our heart to believe we are in trouble. You must realize that we are made in the image and in the likeness of God. We are made um, in a way that the dynamics that's in the Trinity is the only thing that's actually going to give us life. We are people that and beings that cannot believe in someone unless his character makes family sense or there's family logic inside that. You'll struggle to believe in him. You'll struggle to trust him. And that is very important to understand. If we look at the cross of Jesus, if we look at what God has done for us in Jesus, and it is put in a place, or it's presented in a package that, if this truth that Jesus took away the sin of the world, if this truth that Jesus went to the cross for us, if this truth that the chastisement for our peace was upon Him, if, if this truth that He... Um, he became sin. If this truth that He died for me is presented in a package that the heart cannot believe in the one that brought this truth, this truth will have very little or no effect in your life. Um, you might say, Barry, what are you trying to say? Now let me get to what I'm trying to say. If we say that God gave His Son and um, the foundation from where we declare that He gave His Son is of utmost importance. The reason why He gave His Son is what causes the heart to believe. We can say, we believe that He gave His Son. Th that is not the problem, but why did He give His Son? This, that is very, very important because the why, once the why is answered, it tells the heart, if the heart can trust or not. That's why we find many Christians today, they believe that Jesus came to the earth, they believe that Jesus was punished for them, they believe that the Father punished Jesus, and they believe that all the sin was taken away, and all those kind of things, yet 
they walk around with guilt, they walk around with condemnation, and when it comes to eternal life, it's, they don't know if they're actually going to go to heaven. And I'm not talking about what you'll tell other people. I'm not talking about your moment when you feel in your hype of quoting scriptures. I'm talking about what you feel in the very depth of your being. You know, and what life there is in the depth of your being. That is what I'm talking about. Now, um, that, uh, with that said, we're going to have a look at what happened upon the cross and we're going to have a look at, at um, what Jesus Christ came to do for us. Now, just, just look at this, um, this picture here. So many times we have seen the justice of God in this light. That's what we've seen. We've seen the justice of God in the light of that picture. And what we are saying is that this is how Christianity was preached. And I find now a lot of people, now I don't want to go into politics, but just for those of you that listen to many preachers and don't just stick to one guy listening to him, I want to say this. That picture that I've just shown there of the justice of God being satisfied in beating Jesus has been preached in 99% of all churches for a long, long time. Um, and that is not the truth. That is not the truth. Let me show you that picture again. We're going to explain this. Look at this. Justice of God. God's justice, this lady represents God and the justice of God is to beat you or to beat somebody when he has sinned and now we see it portrayed in Christ here. So in other words what we are seeing here is the father chastising the son. So in this picture we don't see God over here, we see God right over there. Lower of God, I'm on the wrong one. So when we look at this picture we will not see God over here, you know. We'll see God over there. So was God in Christ when he reconciled the world? Or was God in that demon-possessed Roman soldier there that was beating Jesus to pieces? Because that's the picture we have. God beating Jesus for us. That's what we were supposed to take. God was supposed to beat us this way. Uh, rip us to pieces because of his anger and his justice you know that he has. Oh, that is crazy man. You know um, I, I'm sorry but I don't know about you guys but I can't believe in a God like that. Now you might just want to switch this off. If you switch this off you will miss what I actually want to teach. And, I want, and the foundation from where I am reasoning to tell you what I'm telling you. I'm not saying Jesus didn't take the punishment for sin. I'm not saying Jesus didn't, didn't die our death. I'm not saying that blood was not needed for salvation. I am not saying, what I'm saying is that without what happened on that cross, nobody can be saved. So, um, just that you can know that. But there's something wrong with that picture. I'm sorry for going back to that picture again. But there's just something wrong with that picture. Uh, you know, those two things don't go together. You will not find pastors putting that up on a page or in theological books that they will use those two pictures together. But that is what the subconscious mind hears. Because we've had this picture of God is a God that lives by a certain rule and law. And His ability to keep to that rule and law is called his justice. And justice is only satisfied in spanking. So, if Adam sinned, God has to obey the law by which he lives, which is called his justice, law of justice, which says the following. If somebody sins, you don't forgive him. You beat him. And then once you've beaten him, then you let him go, and now he's free to go. And that is defined as forgiveness. <laughs> let me say that again. 
If we say that God had to beat Jesus in order to produce or, or, or create a platform from where He can forgive people, we are saying the following. That the law by which God lives is what you call the, the, the law of punishment in order to forgive. So forgiveness is defined like this. God's forgiveness. This is how this system, that I, those pictures that I've just showed you, this is how the forgiveness look. You sin, then you have to be beaten. To, because the justice of God is not to just forgive. The justice of God is you've sinned towards me and now I cannot forgive unless I've beaten you. And then after being beaten, then He forgives you. Now imagine I apply that today. And we just take this logic and we test it as if it makes sense. If I take that logic and I say, okay, um, my son comes and he speaks bad to his mom. Now I don't forgive him unless he's beaten. And even if it is 30 years later, I cannot forgive him until he is beaten. And when he's beaten, then I say, now you are forgiven. Now he is not forgiven. What happened is, he paid for sin. He, you can't connect that with forgiveness. It's like if I owe you $10,000 and I can't pay you. I don't have the ability to pay you that money. And someone else comes and pays for me. Can you now say, okay, I forgive you of, I, I forgive you, don't owe me the money anymore. No, it's got nothing to do with you. I've done my part. You know, I have paid. So how can you say you now forgive? You see how twisted the whole system is. Even the whole system of God forgives, you know, the whole, we have to redefine all those things. Because what forgiveness actually is, is not to say, well, I don't keep anything against you. Forgiveness means to set you free from something that binds you. To send away, to end a contract, to to divorce, to send a wife away in divorce. That is the word forgive. I, I forgive you. I send you. I send the thing that binds you away. It's not that I don't keep anything against you. If we in today's life must forgive according to, to this system, we, are, we will be seen as the, as the worst sinners that's ever walked on this planet, man. There'll be nothing different between what we believe right there and what people that believe that justice must be served and you aren't forgiven if you, unless you are punished. You know, if somebody's son is murdered or somebody was, something was stolen from somebody and the guy goes to jail, you don't find that person forgiving that man. You just find him saying he got what he deserved. Now I feel good because he got what he deserved. Forgiveness cannot be defined in in beating. So, let's just recap what I said in short. If we come and we say, God lives by a certain rule, and this is the law of forgiveness. God keeps something against somebody that has sinned towards Him, and because He's a just God, He cannot forgive unless the person is beaten. If that's our definition of forgiveness, who are we to forgive in a different way than God? So if somebody steals from me, I cannot forgive him just by forgiving him. He must be caught, go to jail, get his punishment, then I call him forgiven. No, I call him punished. You know, punished. That is the whole thing. And we have, from that mentality, we've built our whole gospel and the goodness of God. That is, a lot of even, uh, um, you know, the message on God's mercy and God's grace revolves around a God that is subject to a law. Which, for a start, doesn't make God God anymore. 
For that law is now the law of God, and that God tells God what, what to do. I'm under a law that says I'm married to Sister Law, you know, and we don't want to upset her. And she says, unless you're punished, you're not forgiven. So, you know, so God says, well, I'm married to Sister Law, and, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm obedient to her. For if I don't do what she says, if I decide just to forgive without beating, then, uh, you know, we're in trouble. Because then I am not just anymore, and then I can't be God anymore, then I'm a sinner. Can you see how that brings God into slavery? Now, that has never... One, uh, 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 one of my Facebook friends wrote me and says, Bertie, what you teach against, I've never heard preached like that in all my life. No, it has never been preached like that. And nobody would be as foolish to preach it that way. But that is what the subconscious mind concludes. That's why... And you know, remember, subconscious mind is not conscious. You can't think of it. You just find that when you need to believe or trust, you can't. You just find the fruit of the flesh in your life and don't know why. You know, but it comes out of these wrong beliefs that's in the heart. That's why we need to attend to the word of the Lord. And what, what we have done is we have built our doctrine on the foundation of this, uh, uh, um, this law system. This, this, this law-based system of right and wrong and laws, whereby God walked according to that law, and now we define God as good based on this law, which says the following. God needs to spank somebody. God needs to spank Adam for being a naughty boy. And he is now so good, because he's just and he, and he is God, he's not going to go away from his law. So what he'll do is, he will take one of the Trinity and start to spank him now. To fulfill justice, which is obedience to this law. And look how good God is. Now we see the goodness of God in that. Now, I remember, um, you know, when I thought that, you know, God was going to give people a spanking and then he, he, uh, uh, Jesus, I don't know what I believed about Jesus, but Jesus took the punishment for my sin and the Father punished Jesus on my behalf. He took the beating for me. Um, that I do believe. But then I also somehow thought that some of the laws got through. And now I understand why. Because I believe God lived on the foundation of this law and He's just. So if He came, took my punishment and I sinned after this, you know what it means? It means that he cannot go, he's married to sister law of law and he's a just God. So what's going to happen? He's going to beat me again. And this time with hell. If I commit another sin. And then I heard the message of grace. Which was, you know, God has beaten Jesus for all your sins, past, present and future. And then I felt this release because at least I'm now free from thinking that I'm going to be judged by God in the last time in the sense of He's going to beat me for every sin. He's not sin conscious. Why is He not sin conscious? Because He's beaten Jesus so hard that He, he was supposed to beat me to death, but then He beat Jesus to death. So now the justice of God is satisfied. But where does that leave my heart? It leaves my heart with believing in a God that, um, that cannot forgive unless He punishes. That's what it leaves me with. It leaves me in the same place as what my heart, in the same place of doubt and unbelief, as what it would be towards a neighbor that would beat that's got such a strict rule in his house that says, if somebody uh, disobeyed me, uh, he'll have to be beaten. And if he's not, if, if, if I love him too much to beat him, I will beat the innocent one. And once he's beaten, then my son is forgiven. Will you let a, a guy like that babysit your children? Come on, church. We're talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ here. If somebody comes to me and tells me Elena's murdered someone, do you think I'm just going to leave it right there? If somebody starts to spread a story of, G, of, of, of Elena murdered her own son that was 
actually not guilty because the other son was guilty and she had such she's such a just person that sticks to the laws of the house and if you have disobeyed she will beat you and she has actually now killed the one son did something so bad that she had to kill him but she loves him and then the other son says just kill me and then she killed that son if a story like that is spread about Helena you know what I'll do? I'll do everything in my power to get the guy. There's one of two things. I'll either just leave it, you know, because I know it's just rubbish. But if I see that that story is harming people, I'll do everything in my power to prove her innocence in front of all people. Because that's a lie. That is a lie. Now, we will not dare say something like that about our neighbor but we will go from pulpits and declare that God has murdered Jesus because he wanted to actually beat us and let us use the word murder punish with death God, because Adam sinned, Adam and all his people after him the children's 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 children until who knows when God, because he's a just God will punish all of them with death. He's going to kill them all. That's the punishment for Adam sinning. Now, maybe some people have already switched this off, but that people will have to deal with what we believe. And we have to investigate what we believe. And you might say, but Bertie, the Bible says the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed, you know. Now what is that chastisement? Now let me go to Hebrews first. Let us go to Hebrews first and um, we're going to look at that verse right there. Oh, I wish I can find that thing now. There it is. Hebrews 12 verse 7. Hebrews 12 verse 7. Let's see. For he, for you endure, if you endure the chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son um, is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, who's partakers of chastisement? All. Then are you bastards and not sons. So all are partakers of this chastisement. Now let's look at the Greek word for chastening there. It's the Greek word 3809. It says here that uh, um, in the Greek Old Testament it's translated as the word discipline but it's the very same word 3809. And this discipline or chastisement was there for what reason? So that we can have Peace. What is peace? A state of national tranquility and or exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Peace between individuals, in other words, harmony of the Messiah's peace. Okay, then I want to um, go to another verse. Let's go to... Um, Hebrews 12 verse 5. We, we will explain that now. What is, ha what is happening here? This is what's happening. There had to be a, a chastisement that would bring us peace. Now what would bring us peace? Or harmony between us and God. The only thing that could bring us harmony between us and God is... If the man that is not in harmony with God, which was Adam, he was not in harmony with God. Why? Because he was following a different belief system. Adam followed the belief system of the knowledge of good and evil, which is defined as, I behold the good in God, I behold the good that God gave, in my, gave to me, and now my identity is, and my divinity is in doing good and the good that I find is in my life. So I'm going to be like the Divine One and I'll create life by finding my belief upon the knowledge of good and evil. I don't have time. If you're a first-time visitor here, just say, you know, that Adam lived by the, wanted to live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is simple. And God didn't live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He has got life in Him. So now they're not in harmony. 
the way God brings life forth and what God intended for man in the beginning and what God, man now wants to do is not in harmony with the original plan. We've been made to be the recipients of life, not the creators of life. We don't behold the love in the Trinity and love like God. And when we love like God and do like God, then we will have the life of God. No, that's called law or ministration of death or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It shall always destroy and kill you. But when we are the recipients of this love, we are in harmony with how God works and what God wanted to give to us. Don't have time to explain all of that. Now, when there was no harmony, what had to happen for man to have harmony? Very simple. This belief system, this thing Adam brought forth, this marriage between man and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this poison that entered man, that union or a marriage, Hebrews, uh, Romans 7 says it is, with death through the law system had to be ended. And the way it can, should end is the husband that we were married to, which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that whole system, that marriage has to end. So, something had to happen so that we can have a new belief, um, that we can have the, the truth that according to the original plan as something real and true in our life in order for us to have peace. A gospel had to come forth in order for us to have peace. It's called the gospel of peace. Amen. So, the chastisement or the suffering that was needed, if you want to use chastisement as the word suffering, which I don't see it translated that way. You know, we didn't see suffering there at all in that definition. Or I think, have we read the definition? We haven't. Let me read the definition of suffering. Here's the definition of, of, of chastisement. Okay? You guys can see we're still going to talk about some nice stuff today. This is the word for chastisement. The whole training and education of children which relate to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproofs and punishment. So here it talks about a punishment towards a child. Okay, a punishment towards a child. But are we children or are we grown-ups. And this punishment that it talks about here, it talks about a training up and a cultivation. Um, a, a cultivation of the mind and morals. So it talks actually about this, this chastisement, talks about something that can even be painful. Talk about a punishment there, or uh, um, in that case. But it talks actually about the cultivation of the mind. Now let's go to adults, because we're adults. Whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and wrong passions, instructions which aims at increasing virtue. So when we look at the admonition or the um, chastisement. It talks about correcting um, your belief or your way of thinking that it can bring virtue or life to you. Now the chastisement, that which was needed to bring correction. Another word for a very good word for, um, for chastisement is correction. Correction. The correction that had to come in order for us to have peace, was laid upon Jesus. Now, how would that correction look? This is how the correction would be. There had to be an end in our marriage with the law man. That had to end. It no, no, never does it say God had to beat. It says that the correction that had to come our way was laid upon him. And I want to explain that correction, the pain Jesus went through, for it was not the Father beating him. And we will read a verse that explicitly says that. 
But let us just stick with this. You see this guy on the left here and the right? Most of you will know Nelson Mandela. And then this is F.W. de Klerk. Now, F.W. de Klerk here it was the president of South Africa when, um, you know, the, the president just before Nelson Mandela. And in, I mean, years ago, there was a system implemented in South Africa called apartheid. Now, the whole world knows about the apartheid system. Now, the apartheid system was implemented by certain people and when it was and it was given to us we inherited in my life i mean i didn't implement it my father and my grandfather and old long ago other people did it and when they did that we inherited their iniquity okay their iniquity came to us and we grew up in a place where most white people, and I can't say what the blacks believe because I haven't fellowship with them, I don't know, I can still find out if you guys want to know, but we believe that all people aren't equal. Um, we believe that blacks and whites should mix, excuse me, we believe that the blacks should have their place where they live and then the whites should have their place where they live. We had a rule, a law that said a black guy is not supposed to be in a white area or the other way around, you know, at a after a certain time at night. Uh, we, we had a law that would say that a black guy and a white woman cannot marry each other or vice versa. It was just not on. It was against the law. You could go to jail for it. And in that law system, what happened? It brought forth death. Many people died on account of that system that came in. There was not democracy, there was apartheid. What did apartheid bring forth? Riots, bitterness, hatred. That was the fruit of that law. All those things were brought forth. And then two men came that were born under that law. They were called Nelson Mandela and F.W. de Klerk. Both of them got the Nobel Peace Prize um, you know, for what happened during those, um, you know, ending apartheid. Both of them did, not just Nelson Mandela. You know, we don't know about the other guy, but I want to bring in both of them here so that you can see how this thing works and how the suffering works. They were born under this law. But as they were born under this law, what did they want to do? They want to, cor want to correct the belief of man. That they wanted to bring correction. And that correction might be painful for the one who is corrected, especially because he believes something that's wrong and he has believed it for many years. He was born in it. So now, these guys come, they were born under the law and what were they carrying upon their shoulders? They were carrying the weight of apartheid upon them. A black guy and a white guy. And the black guy suffered the, 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 the apartheid system, he came and he says, no, you know, I don't believe in the system. I want to end the system. And then the punishment or the, let me put it this way, the suffering of the wickedness of the system was seen upon him. They didn't, neither Nelson Mandela nor F.W. de Klerk was loved by, um, if we just say the white people. F.W. de Klerk wasn't loved by the black people. He wasn't loved by a lot of the white people. Nelson Mandela wasn't loved by a lot of the black people. And he wasn't loved by a lot of the white people. In their effort to bring forth new change, what happened? They were hated. I can remember people saying about F.W. de Klerk that he just wants to sell out our whole country to the blacks. He's just, he's just a bad guy. Nelson Mandela, because he was a head of a, a certain um, you know, a, a, a army that went underground and were bombing people and doing terrorism. You know, it, it is so. That, go and read it in, in, in Encyclopedia. That is what happened. He was seen as a terrorist and a hater of people and hating life. He was seen as the enemy, a communist. That's what he was seen as. And he was hated. 
And the people that hated them thought that these people are cursed of God, man. They cursed of God. This F.W. de Klerk, he wants to sell out our country. He's cursed. God is against him. And I tell you, he also feared for his life. Because his party would bring an end to the apartheid system and allow... Because it was for the whites to have a referendum and decide, you know, are they going to allow the blacks to have, uh, uh, um, you know, voting rights or are they going to go into a civil war? So, that, I, I just give you a little bit of that pol political history and this is what I want to say. The suffering, the chastisement that we could have peace was upon those two, two men. And then obviously others as well, but I just want to use them because they represent those, those different parties. The chastisement or the correction of our belief, wherein I can believe all people are equal, wherein I can believe that, that all people have got the same right to vote, where I can believe the truth, the chastisement or the change of my mind rested on them. We saw them as plagued by God, yet if they weren't plagued by God, the pain and the suffering they were going through was on account of the evil apartheid system. Because if the evil apartheid system was not there, they wouldn't have suffered. So what, what bruised them? That system that they were, were ending, that bruised them. That bruised them. But although they were bruised by that system, they ended the system and bruised the system forevermore. Now we have democracy. Now I hope you understand what I was trying to say there. Now we can go to the scriptures and I can conclude my message. Okay, um, sorry about that. Um, yes, that's where I want to be. Let us just read the scripture here. This is the one I want to read. Isaiah 53. <clears throat> but he was wounded because of our because of our sins, and he was made made infirm, or our infirmities was upon him on account of our lawless deeds. So we were lawless, and because of our lawlessness, that's why he suffered. Not because the father beat him. It's because of the apartheid system that came in through Adam, and we were the sons of Adam. And that's why, you know, he was suffering like that. And because of our inability to do that, that is why he took that suffering. The discipline, or the correction, um, or the chastisement, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, I don't have time to talk about that now. Hebrews 12, 5. And, and you have forgotten. This is very important, friends. And you have forgotten the exhortation. That Greek word 3874 means uh, it's a, a paraklesis where we get parakletos from, from, which means comforter or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also called the comforter. Paracletos, this is Paraclesis. You have forgotten the exhortation or the comfort which speaks unto you as unto children, my sons. Despise not you the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of Him. Now, um, what does that mean? He says, listen, people in um, the Hebrew people. Now he was talking here not to just Jews. He was talking to Christians that became, or Jews that became Christian, and then because of persecution, they went back to Judaism, and now they were fainting at the chastisement of the Lord. Now what was the chastisement of the Lord? The chastisement of the Lord comes in two parts. Number one, like in Nelson Mandela and F.W. de Klerk. What did these two Nobel Peace Prize winners do? This is what they did. They came and through a lot of suffering and pain and ridicule on account of an evil system that was there, they came and corrected the end of that system and brought a new law which was in line with what is a good way of thinking, which was democracy. And so they chastised the chastisement, the correction that could bring peace to South Africa was upon them. And they corrected it by ending that old system. Now we can go and correct people. 
now we can preach a message where in the individual's mind can now be corrected and tell them, listen, we don't live under apartheid anymore. We are now living under democracy. Now the individual that hears this might say hallelujah and then start to say democracy, democracy, we are democracy. But if there are a lot of people that don't want to believe that and they start to persecute you, then you will say, well, let me maybe, this is, this, I'm suffering man, let me rather go back to what I used to believe. And this is what's happening in Hebrews here, that is the setting of Hebrews there. So what is, his, what is the Hebrew writer saying? This is what he's saying. He's saying, guys, you, your minds were chastised, you were chastised with the chastisement of the Lord. You were comforted with the chastisement of the Lord. You were comforted with the correction that God brought. The correction was, He wants he wants you to be in harmony with Him, so He changed the platform from where you live. You don't live by law anymore. You are now living by uh, 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 His life as your life. And you guys want to go back to it now. And I'm coming to correct you again with the chastisement that the Lord brought. And don't faint at this chastisement. What was the chastisement? This is the chastisement of the Lord, which was very painful. He couldn't bring this forth without a lot of effort and pain. This is the chastisement. He had to incarnate himself into sinful flesh. Okay, he had to become a man born under the law, like Nelson Mandela and uh, 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 F.W. Clark. They were born under the law. Then he was bearing the iniquity of us, of Adam, which was in that body, which is a system of death, which will bring forth death. And he carried my uh, my, my my sinful belief that that sin that came in us on account of Adam. He carried that. He represented the whole law system. And you know what he did? He died. He died. It was unto death and he resisted sin, which means to believe in works righteousness, even until he died. And when he died, the damning body died. And he, brought, and he was raised up now as a man glorified by the Spirit of God. And now that is the new truth of all of us. We are not in slavery anymore. We are now the free. That is that how he chastised the believer of man. And the only way in which that chastisement could come was through death. The only way our belief could be corrected that we are now to believe and be in harmony with the original plan is that a man had to die, a man had to go and be seated at the right hand of the Father. And if he could be seated there, then we can now believe as we ought to believe and say, God gives man life, therefore God promised me life and I will have life. That's it. You'll have to rewind this. If you're watching this on YouTube, just click rewind, listen to this again. Um, even if it's a live broadcast, just go rewind and, and listen to the whole system again, the whole message again. It, it will just bless you. So, you might say, but Bertie, you know, he, wa he, was, he, he was bruised for me. Let us, let us read. It's very important to read the scriptures. Verse 5, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. So here was Jesus. He was going through a very rough time. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man full of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. You know, uh, we, we, uh, um, He was despised. We esteemed Him not. Why was He looking like that? Because he was bearing our griefs. Because the system by which we live, that the, the, the system that kills us, was on him. He became sin. Look at the picture over here. We always have only this picture. But this is the true picture. This is, what the, this is the spiritual picture. Because he became sin. He, he became that the Bible says the, the, um, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us was nailed to the cross. Look at it there. Bronze speaks of suffering and that is the snake. 
right there. This is the, this, this is the snake upon the cross, people. And in that, the venom of Satan was crushed. Now we will read more into that. Not into, we will extrapolate more from that. Verse 4, surely he has... Why, why, why did he look this? Because he was bearing our grief and carrying our sorrows. Yet, and this is the problem that I find, you know, and, and, and people see this verse and they don't want to listen, but those who listen have find life. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised because of our iniquities. What was the transgression? To believe in the law system. What was the iniquity? The iniquity talks about the violence that is there on account of Satan's system. The correction that had to come so that we can have peace, the ending of the old system was upon him. That's why he was in that state. He had to end the snake system. Why was Nelson Mandela in jail? Why was he persecuted? Why was he there? Was he, was he beaten by God? No. He was experiencing and carrying in him, ending the system, the infliction, the, 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 the death of the apartheid system was carried upon him and he ended it all. F.W. Clark ended it all. And the two of them together brought forth a brand new system and they brought the correction that can bring peace. The correction involved a lot of suffering and persecution and politics. The same with Jesus. Why did Jesus suffer? Because the wages of sin is death. He became sin and the wages of sin is not God killing you. <laughs> sin doesn't need God's helping hand to bring forth death. Sin was killing man. Then God said, let me incarnate myself into this system and die this system away. The Bible does not... Imagine, we say, you know, imagine God said, well, I will set people free from apartheid, but I'm not going to set anybody free from apartheid until I've beaten somebody. I, that was just a crazy God. When we hear this and we allow this truth to settle in our heart, we can then go to the communion which we're going to have today and we can say, when we look at this picture, look at this. The snake upon the cross. The snake upon the cross. Just get that, let that picture sink in a bit there. You remember Numbers 21, the snake was upon the cross, but the snake bit the people. And the venom of the snake was in the people. But then the snake, the source of all that venom, was then put upon the cross. That venom was put upon the cross. And when that venom was put upon the cross, meaning when you see the venom dead. When you see, and how did God bring forth that death? He incarnated himself into the system of death. And then allowed death to come to one that represented mankind. Very clever God. And when he was he hanged there, what happened? That body of sin, the venom system, that which was bringing forth death in me, died and was broken. Take your bread and we're having communion, friends. See it. See it. See it broken. Look at it. We are celebrating the death. Oh, but that, the Bible says, it pleased the Father to bruise him. It pleased the Father to bruise him. Let's, go to, let's just read that. I think that will be a good verse to read. Um, Isaiah 53. And then we'll have to end. Um, I didn't plan to read this, but let me just quickly do it. 53 verse 10. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich, and his death, because he had done no violence, neither any deceit was in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Here we see Jesus 
you know, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin. So what is he saying here? Then it says, and you will see his seed, and you will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So what is the pleasure of the Lord? The pleasure of, pleasure of the Lord is your peace. And now it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, he, when he bruised Jesus, when he bruised Jesus, who was bruised? Let me quote a verse about bruising. The Bible says, I'll bring enmity between your seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel, but he'll bruise your head. So when Jesus was on the earth, what did Satan do? He bruised Jesus. How did he bruise him? By that system of death actually coming to Jesus. But when that bruising came, the bruising of the heel, when God saw that bruising and the death that comes to that system, what was actually bruised there? The head of the serpent. Let's look at the picture. Look there. Forget this picture for a moment, this one. Look at that one. Can you see it beautiful if we say it pleased the Father to bruise him? This is, this is not a judicial system wherein the father was so ticked off with Adam that he is a God of justice that needs to punish. It pleased the father to have Jesus become sin and then going through all that needs to go through to bring forth the brand new system, the correction of belief, the correction of system so that we could have life. That's what it's all about. Glory to God. So, let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for the bread of Jesus, the body of Jesus that was broken for us. We thank you, Lord, as this was broken, everything that produces sin in me was broken. All bitterness and hatred in me uh, is broken. The power that brings forth hatred, the power that brings forth uh, um, jealousy, the power that brings forth fear was broken forevermore. The belief system, I thank you for your chastisement. I thank you, Father, for the correction of the new system that you took upon you and you suffered it through and even unto death you resisted sin and you became sin for us. And when you died... We can see this is a declaration of a done deal. Glory, glory, glory. Father, we want to thank you for the blood. We want to thank you for the new life. The old life that flowed out and now the resurrection and the covenant, the start of a new covenant. No covenant was started no, without blood. And we see the blood, we see the end of the old. Therefore, we can have a new covenant with you, for we are not under the law. Oh, hallelujah. We celebrate, Father. If you have never received Jesus, I want to pray with you right now to receive the Lord. Let's pray together. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you chastised you took the chastisement of our belief upon you and you came to give us life. I believe that you became sin. I believe that you took my sin away. But more than that, you took that which kills me away. And I don't have to have life by my own works. I can see you high and lifted up upon the cross. And as you lifted up, I see the death of that which was killing me there. And I acknowledge that my life can be born from the revelation of the lawman broken forevermore. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And the resurrection that you have received through the Holy Spirit, I receive the Holy Spirit right now. And now, Holy Spirit, resurrect my life into the fruit of the Spirit because I don't live by the snake's power anymore. I am free. I've died with you, Lord. The old Adam is done. You undid Adam, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for 
just who you are. Let us have our communion together and uh, I'm not going to talk after the song that we're going to play now, um, but just listen to this, to this beautiful song. We just, we're going to just sing this very same song about the amazing grace um, and let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. I'm not going to come back after the song, so I want to just thank everybody that gives uh, towards uh, our ministry. The fact that you give towards us, and I'm not asking for money, I'm thanking. The fact that you give towards this ministry makes it possible for me to preach this message. You know, this, this week I, I, I could spend a nice 15 hours of study in this. You know, and just on studying this, so to bring you this. Thank you. My life is enriched by you giving towards me so that I don't have to work a normal job and spend 8 or 10 hours a day on a normal work, but where I can spend time in the scripture. And what an honor for me to have that benefit as you give towards me. Therefore, I want to give back and I want to say, now you can benefit from what I've learned in all those, in all those studies and those hours. And it's not the study that brings it forth. It is that fellowship in the Trinity because I can study forever and come out with the conclusion of death. You know, if I am not in the right circle. So, let us have this communion together. God bless you guys. Worthy is the key.